Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Brian Remington to the show. Brian is the head of global inside sales at Schedulo. And as that name implies, if you're not familiar with them, Schedulo is in the business of helping people intelligently manage the details of their mobile workforce, matching workers to jobs, and then working on all the scheduling and dispatch that needs to be done in order to be successful with that. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Today, topically, we're going to really talk a lot about motivating sales development professionals. Before we do that, I always ask two questions. I'm going to reverse the order of my usual questions because the book that Brian wants to talk about so deeply ties to the topic at hand. So I'll ask you first, Brian, what's the first thing you ever remember selling? I was a Little League kid growing up, grew up in the East Bay here in California. And one of the things we did for a fundraiser hey, was salespeople, sold Welcome to the bars. podcast. Today and is my great pleasure to speak with uh, Brian Remington. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thinking, Dad, here's all the chocolate bars. Brian is the teacher. director of sales development at gonna, One Login. You know, win this competition. Found out quickly that's not how we roll in the Remington house. We put on our comfortable shoes and we went door to door and sold chocolate. And it quickly made me realize that I was competing against these cute little Girl Scouts with a branded cookie that everybody loved. And I was the chubby redhead kid trying to sell either by people rewarding my effort or I took a pity buy every now and then as well. But that was an amazing way for my parents to kind of just help me realize that, hey, you know, this is what hard work looks like. And let's go door to door. Some of these people are our neighbors. Some people are not going to even be nice to a nine-year-old, but it was a really good introduction into the world of sales. Was one of your parents a salesperson? Is that why they, they had the motivation to go do that? No. My father was a self-made history teacher who spent time in the National Guard and raised me to make sure that I realized that the easy way is usually not the best way. My second question actually is is perfect segue into the topic that we're going to talk about, which again is motivating sales development professionals. So a favorite book and why? I am a big Daniel Pink fan, and I could probably spend the next three hours just plagiarizing all the things that I've learned from him and that I've put into my leadership style. But you know, starting with Drive, that really got me into it and the art of motivation, which we'll go into a little bit. But the sales book specifically was his next book, which was To Sell as Human. And what it really did is it aligned with my mentality that I like to teach my reps. Selling has changed and you have to change the way you approach. But at the end of the phone and the other side of that email is a human being. And as humans, we haven't changed and evolved that much in the time span that we've all been selling. There still are certain ways that we are persuaded. There's certain ways we make decisions. And it really is about the left and the right brain coming together to feel equitable, to make a decision that not just emotionally meets a need, but make sure you're not getting screwed at the same time. He brought up a term that I'd never heard before, and it was uh, ambivert. Are you familiar with that term? Both introvert and extrovert, right? Exactly. And that ambiverts are the ones that present both of those traits. It's the ability to be compassionate and empathetic, but know when to then be direct and aggressive 
to make sure you're showing people that you are an expert in this subject, but you're also willing to listen to them and make sure that their needs are being taken care of first. It really, really did influence the way that I manage and the way that I sell, even though as a director and a manager, I don't do as much selling of product, but certainly I am selling myself to candidates and selling myself to my future employees. Let's use that to transition into specifically how those concepts apply to motivating early career sales professionals. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges you faced and and how you've worked through those challenges. So there's three frogs on the log, and I I say this to all my reps in their, their first introduction to my team. One of them decides to jump off. How many frogs are left? Of course, the answer is incorrect usually. But there are three remaining because the thought of jumping off and the action of jumping off are two completely different things. Deciding to do something and actually executing on it and putting a smart plan together are completely separate as you move into the business world. And that's really hard early on for people to realize. I align it then to the fact that, you know, I have a a methodology called what's your Everest, right? And it just really comes down to you got to figure out what your Everest is. I don't even care what it is. It could be taking my job down the road. It could be owning a Bugatti. It could be buying a Labradoodle. I I don't care. Whatever that thing is, that's what we're going to put as your Everest. Then we're going to de-evolve that down to today and put together a nice plan that has all of these base camps. And we're going to focus on getting to base camp one. We're not going to talk about base camp three, all those other things. But we say, hey, I really want to do this thing. But then we never actually go back and figure out very small, achievable goals that will continually bring us to that summit. But the last most important part here is it's, you know, no one summits Everest because they had nothing to do on a Sunday. It's because it's a life dream to get there. So whatever that motivation is, it's intrinsically motivated. Motivation that I don't have to continually feed. It's something that every single day, whether I'm here or not, whether it's raining, whether your AE is being a jerk to you, you're going to make sure you drive a step closer to that goal because it's your intrinsic goal, not mine, not your AEs, not something that society or the internet told you you needed to do. It's your goal. It might be useful to go through a little bit of like what your base camps were. You went to UCAL Berkeley and then found your way into sales so and, and worked your way up from individual sales contributors, sales management roles inside of significant companies, right? Salesforce, LinkedIn, New Relic, right? These are all major names in the space. So what were some of the base camps that you set along the way? Part of it was luck. Part of it was opportunity. Part of it was network. But you know, I've had many positive things happen in my life that put me in many amazing situations because I chose the right, I like to call it my own board of directors, to influence the directions and the things that I did. And it starts with my father, right? Never choose the easy route because the one that's harder probably will teach you more and open up the next stop, more opportunities the next time. So it always made my next base camp like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize this would happen. Going to Berkeley was a great example. And I was uh, lucky to be an athlete that got a lot of attention in college had the opportunity to go to a lot of different places and chose Berkeley because it scared the living heck out of me. It was a place that I knew that I would not be able to go and coast. And it immediately explained to me that there were so many more things in the world that I didn't know about. And the dormant side of my brain, which was the logical side, all of a sudden woke up and said, holy crap, 
hey, hey, I'm here and I want equitable time now. So that's really where I learned, you know, the neuro-linguistic programming or NLP sort of mentality around making sure that you are giving the logical side and the emotional side equitable time in your life. And that is sometimes when you're comfortable, run to the next thing. My first base camp was really about deciding what I wanted to do, but locking it in. That was when I really decided that sales was the right direction for me. I uh, was very lucky again to start at a smaller company, a, a value-added reseller called Intraware in the early days where I was given opportunity to travel and do a lot of things that, again, scared me. But going to Salesforce was really the transformational base camp for me. What were you considering as alternatives to sales when you were starting out? If it wasn't for Berkeley opening my mind to global opportunities, like I would be very happy being the head football coach and the history teacher somewhere. Opening up these opportunities for me really did make that more visible to me. So the creative side of my brain, marketing was something that I looked into very, very early. I realized quickly that the creative side was great, but working with customers and then the, you know, the competitive side kicked in and I realized I also needed that. I needed the failure. I needed something to always be there to chase marketing didn't provide me that there was nothing negative to it but i realized that sales that interaction with customers the fact that you know if you win four out of ten times that's actually pretty good and every day coming in and knowing that there were challenges in mountains and more climbing to do is the thing that made me get up and really did make me invest more time in getting better every single day Getting to the transition to Salesforce, you did something that I've actually seen a pattern of a lot of people who've joined Salesforce, but is is a brave move, which is you were a sales manager at Intraware. When you moved to Salesforce, you took, I don't want to call it a step back, but you could characterize it, moving back into an individual contributor account executive role. What was going through your mind in terms of your long-term goals, and how did that make sense as a different base camp from the level you had already achieved? My title at Intraware, I didn't have a lot of people reporting up to me. But at the same time, you know, I, I learned very early on from a mentor as well. And I, I kind of like call it my corporate trinity, which is, you know, leadership, product and culture are like the three legs to the stool of, of amazing companies. And it's very hard to measure all those three. But what you realize when companies become very successful and whether it's, you know, unicorn or whatever it happens to be, whatever their goal is, if you look back, they found a way to manage and measure all three of those. So when I am looking for my next company, while the role is important, it's about if this is a company I truly feel is about to or has already shown that these three legs of the stool are under control, I will take whatever job they provide me that allows me to live my life and my family to be happy so I can get into that company and start my career there. And that's really every decision I made, going to Salesforce, going to LinkedIn, going to New Relic. It really was why each of those are household names now is because I saw those three things and I was lucky to make the right decision at those times. And I came in in roles that, again, made me happy, but I also know that sometimes the title doesn't always explain what the expectations are. For me, it was about what do you expect from someone in this role? And if those align to the challenges and they were going to make me better and made me work on a muscle that might have been dormant for a while, um, that's what excited me to come in and join those organizations. Since we're talking about motivation, what were some of the things that you learned about motivating yourself and others? Goodness, that there were a lot of people a lot better than me at a lot of things. 
you know, never be the best skier on the mountain, right? Or you'll never get better. Salesforce was the first place I really went that every meeting you went into, you might not have been the dumbest person in the room, but clearly there were five to 10 people in that room that you could learn so much from at that moment. And it really was just absorbing, not just the content and the context, but just how people held themselves, their work ethic, right? Just those little things that even people that you felt had it all together were there because they worked harder than everybody else. I still today use many things in my managerial approach that I learned from managers and mentors during those times at Salesforce. Can you reflect maybe on one of the managers that had the most influence on you and like what lesson they taught you that you've carried forward? The head of the commercial group back then, a gentleman by the name of Brian Millam. He was very, very open with his time very early on in my career and he asked me just to, you know, give him a, you know, just a executive overview of the business, those types of things. And he stopped and <laughs> he stopped me halfway through and he started asking me some questions that are about the business. And I tried to figure out why. And he stopped and he said, okay, I, I got what I need. He said, let me tell you this. Every time someone asks you a question, pause, think about the answer and then deliver the answer. Because I just ask you really hard questions and really easy questions because I know what you know and what you should know. And when you know the answer, you immediately gave it to me. When you don't know the answer, you paused, you thought about the answer, and then you gave it to me. So it was very clear to me on the other end what you know and what you don't know. And it, it wasn't that, you know, oh, always make people think you know what you're talking about. That wasn't the lesson here. The lesson was just pause. Right. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. And it may be the first thing that pops into your head, but, you know, give it a, a next step, pull it apart and then bring it back together. If it looks exactly like your first thought, perfect, deliver it. But it might not. Right. Take the time to deliver what's important versus speed and just getting it out there. It then also taught me that silence is OK. One of my people that I follow religiously in social media is the head of product marketing over at Gong, Chris Orlob. And he put out a stat, I think that said something like the top performing sellers listen, I think around, let's call it 65% of the time, compared to the bottom performing sellers who only listen about 35% of the time. So I know being on the receiving end as a buyer, people who just blast me with words have a hard time staying focused when that happens. Yeah. And I think you you really start understanding when you're hearing other people talk, who's really listening and who's really talking to you from uh, taking the time to give you the right answer. So that's what makes them such amazing people. You know, you spent a good amount of time at Salesforce over six years and then, and then transitioned over to LinkedIn. What, what were you seeking as a new base camp as you made that move? It really goes back to what am I trying to learn? What does my current opportunity provide me? What are the opportunities and where do I want to be two to three years from now? What do I have to do to get to Basecamp 2 to better prepare myself for Basecamp 3? So I wanted international exposure. And I remember having a conversation around like, how do I get international exposure at Salesforce? And the answer was, well, you earn a right to move somewhere and you move to a international location. And I just had my first child. That wasn't going to happen. So I was very, very lucky in that uh, a past colleague by the name of Jeff Matthews at Salesforce, who was running the SDR function out in Dublin, Ireland, had just went to LinkedIn and had just come out of a meeting where they were talking about building a tool called LinkedIn for Salesforce. And I shot him a note, asked him about how things were going, and he said, wow, this timing is crazy. 
would you be interested in hearing about what we're doing? LinkedIn for Salesforce, which we're now calling Sales Navigator, is really going to be an amazing tool. Need somebody to come in and help build out some of our international offices and take on a global role. And met some people like Mike Gamson, Mike Derrison, and just some amazing, amazing people. But what it did is it pushed me then to not only get that international exposure, but put me in a role that I was mentally not ready for. I had no idea what EMEA stood for and you know what the countries in APAC were and all those different things. But yet I was on a plane to Sydney to hire you know three SDRs and it was transformative for me, but it really forced me to use skill sets and learn brand new things, especially because of the culture there of manage compassionately while demanding excellence, which sounds like they contradict, but you can build that kind of culture and you can expect people to do their best while at the same time being compassionate. Did you find from a intrinsic or extrinsic motivation perspective, the people you were hiring had different expectations in Dublin versus in the States? Absolutely. There is still a loyalty aspect that's almost demanded in Dublin and Ireland specifically. I was talking to some of the first candidates and they said, you know, I don't know how am I going to tell my parents that I'm leaving a great job that pays me well to go to another company. Like the expectation they have is you have a job. What are you doing? Why would you ever change if you're happy in your role and you're getting paid? But the generational change out there was it's not about making more money. It's about the culture and the opportunity and the career development that it provides me which was different than having the same job for 50 years and doing the same thing and be building mastery around it. The other piece too was just the appreciation of what we would think of as perks here. There were just mind-blowing to people. Like, wait, I, you, you're going to give me lunch once a week? They were not expected. Anything else is extra, but I'm not here for that. I'm here for the career development, the opportunity, the fact that if I keep working hard... I'm going to keep getting these things that I never thought were going to be available to me. We can fast forward a bit even to what you're doing now and at one login. Where have you seen struggles in, in motivation? How do you keep these early career professionals motivated? What's uberly important is, and where I usually see disconnect, is when you don't immediately ask someone up front why they're doing what they're doing. Why are you joining a tech company? Why do you want to be in sales? Why do you want to come here? Why, do you, why are you staying in San Francisco? What makes you get up in the morning and realize that it may be a shitty day, but I'm going to go in and crush it? Like, What are those intrinsic motivations? I sit on too many panels or get so many questions. And I had one the other day that made me kind of my heart hurt a little bit. And it's, so what do you do when your one-year anniversary comes up and you finally get a chance to sit down with your manager and talk about career opportunities? Wait. You weren't allowed to have that conversation until your one-year anniversary? <laughs> How is that possible? And it really, truly goes back to that motivation. And it's, you know, I'm going to ask you to do some really hard things. Sales is hard. SDR is even harder. In a tech company is even harder because it moves so damn fast. The reasons I want you to do it shouldn't matter. The reasons you have to do it and what you demand of yourself and the reasons why you will tell that little voice in your head when it says, oh, this sounds hard, and you go, hey, piss off, we're doing it anyway, that can only be because of your goal and your intrinsic motivation. 
it really is important to take those reps and understand what their intrinsic motivation is so that when things get hard, it's not about coming to me and saying, wait, why do, why am I doing this again? They know their heart and their mind are aligned and they're just going to go. Yeah. I, I also do ask that question. Anytime I'm interviewing an SDR, I ask, why do you want to be in sales? I generally hear one of two types of answers. One is the very kind of, I love to interact and serve people answer. And, you know, that person may ultimately be better suited for an account manager down the line as opposed to an AE, but that's okay. And the other one, which is like, I love the competitive aspect. I want to make money. That's a, I think that's a perfectly fine answer. Then you obviously have to ask them why maybe a few more times, like, why is that competition so important to you? Or what is it you need the money for, right? Because it's those things that are truly the drivers. I appreciate your appreciation of, you know, your own career trajectory, right? Is that it is a combination of luck, opportunity, network, which we did not talk about, but I think is so critical. If you could say a few words about building network, because not everyone comes from, you know, the super affluent family who has this great network and blah, 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 blah. What are some tips you have or a tip you have for people to, to build their network that will help them accelerate their career? A network is a privilege, not a right, right? Add value. I learned very early, but then LinkedIn obviously solidified it. It's, you know, having 10,000 connections on LinkedIn means nothing if you don't know any of those people. So spend the time to understand and leave an impression. And, you know, there's an old adage in sales. It's like, be present, be brilliant, be gone, right? Like, like leave an impression, add value. Brilliance, not personally, but brilliance, like have people walk away and go, wow, that was insightful. And then go on to your next thing. Every part of that luck and almost I can say feasibly that every job I've ever gotten, even including one login, in the interview process, there was some connection that came in, whether I asked them to or not. And in this case, it wasn't even actually someone that I reached out to. It was uh, when I was interviewing with our CMO and everybody had told me, you know, he's kind of hard to read. He's a really awesome dude, but, you know, he's going to be a little hard. His first question was, you know, how do you know Mason Hibbard, who's a kid that I grew up with? They played baseball at Santa Clara together. But there's nothing worse for me than to go, oh, wow, I know 10 people. This candidate's coming in. I reach out to all 10 and they go, eh, I don't know that person. They reached out to me randomly and I accepted their invite. And they're like, well, that was, why? Why are they in your network then? So the other thing is be proactive. Be proactive. Networks are something that you need when you're ready and need them not something that when it's time and you need them, that you would start reaching out to people. It's sort of like when you graduate from college, I do a lot of mentoring back with uh, the athletics back at Cal. And that's my first thing is, hey, when you're a sophomore, start building your network. Because when you graduate, that's not the time to put your hand up and say, hey, I need help. You already need to have those people in your camp. And you already have to have proven value to those people so that then they can start going out talking positively about you. They have nothing to say besides, yeah, she, you know, she was a good basketball player. In the corporate world, that doesn't go very far. Yeah, I couldn't have said any of that better. And I, I particularly love the leave an impression. You know, I'll sometimes get this incredible opportunity to interview guests like you where I have, you know, seen these people active on social media and they're net givers. And then I talk to them and I feel like, wow, I, I feel like I've known this person. And, and I never actually talked to them until I, we, did, we did the podcast. Well, Brian, it, it's been so wonderful to have this conversation with you and, and to learn about your own career and your perspectives on motivation. If people do want to get in touch with you and or learn more about OneLogin, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn. 
yeah, let, let's connect. But more importantly, leave me a note. Tell me why you want to connect. I may come back to you with another question because <laughs> that's something I love to do. But I've been, again, very lucky in my career. And there's so much paying it forward that I need to do moving forward that uh, I'm always happy to help in any way I can. And it was an absolute privilege to spend this time with you, Jeremy. And I, I really appreciate the invitation. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.